This is the Horse Radio Network. I'm Kayla Benny from Chestertown, Maryland. And I'm Charlie Brister from the land down under. And you're listening to the monthly breeding and horse sales episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September the 24th. This episode is brought to you again by Supreme Top Form. Good morning, Horsewell. Today, we're focusing on young horses. This is a special episode that airs every fourth Thursday of the month on Horses in the Morning. On this episode, brought to you by Supreme Top Form, we're going to talk to Alistair McLean, the director and head trainer at Australian Equine Behavior Center, to talk about developing young horses. And we also invited auditor Danny Russell to chat about her purchase of a KWPN foal and what she's looking forward to and what she concerns she may have raising a foal. Okay, all right. I've taken some videos out of yours on Facebook the other day. It looks like you're having a grand old time jumping around down in Lexington. What was that all about? Yeah, so I went to Kentucky again to train with um, Lauren Balcom, um, a friend of ours, and uh, Sharn Wordley, who she's uh, involved with. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say that, but, you know, her better, lesser half, I don't know. But anyways, they have a lovely farm in Lexington, Kentucky, and I went down and I took two horses and I had left a horse with them for the month uh, for a bit of training. And I got a lot. And when I say a lot, a lot of jumping in, which was awesome. Um, and then, yeah, I, I jumped my big horse around some meter 10 tracks, got to ride in the Rolex ring at Kentucky, which is every little girl, little American girl's dream. Um, and it was okie dokie was awesome and it was so cool um and i hope to eventually maybe jump some bigger tracks around with him he's a a seven-year-old self-francais um and he is massive and when i say massive i'm five four on a good day when i'm feeling really tall um and he's 17 two and a half and he is dubbed the moose because he's just giant and um but yeah, so, and then I had an epic journey home uh, that was, uh, was, uh, oh, it was a very character building experience. I got um, four hours into my journey and my, I stopped for fuel. My fan belt ripped because my AC compressor was jammed. Luckily, I was at the fuel station when it happened, so I lost power steering and my brakes, and I coasted into a tractor-trailer parking spot and sat there for eight hours while I waited to get fixed, um, and I had four horses on the trailer, so that was really awesome, and got back on the road, met up with someone, swapped out trucks, had to leave my truck in Virginia, which my husband is actually on his way to pick up right now. And I will just say we don't have enough alcohol in this house to <laughs> rebuild my spirits. <laughs> it was... <laughs> yeah, at least, I guess that's... Is that it's probably better than having a broken trailer and having to swap horses on the oh, side of the freeway. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the biggest thing was I keep saying it to everyone is I'm happy it happened at a fuel station. I had somewhere to sit that was safe. Um, 
the horses actually handled it like champs because I had four horses on the trailer. They, I just kept refilling their nets, giving them water, um, entertaining them with crazy dances, watching TikToks. You know, I, I could have been in worse places, worse scenarios, and it was really lucky. It just took me a really long time to get home. So, you know, there's that, but, but it still was a long day. You're doing a lot of jumping down in Kentucky. Is there anything you do in general or were you doing more specifically when you're in Kentucky after the horses have had a hard jumping session? Is there anything you do for their legs in regards to icing or poultice, anything like that? Yeah. So usually when I'm at home, at least I, I ice them after every time I jump. It doesn't matter if I just do little, little things or, or big jump school, um, when I'm traveling, I do have ice boots, but I only ice them when they jump really hard. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, the homework from taking care of them at home lasts me a little bit longer. Maybe that's a little backwards thinking, but um, I sometimes getting ice and boots can be just difficult when you're traveling. You don't have anywhere to put them, (laughs) you know, things like that. But, um, I wrap them actually after every time I jump. Um, and luckily my horses get to go out at night, um, and move around. So there's that aspect. Um, and then they had this hard week or last week was really hard for them this week. They're mainly, you know, hanging out in the paddock, going for hacks. They won't see a jump for another probably two weeks, to be honest, because I don't have any more shows coming up for a while. So, you know, it's it's more about balancing it for me is, okay, you had a hard week this week. Now you have two weeks of light work. And then, okay, now we're going to start back into training and really crack in again. So what do you like to do? Well, I definitely like icing them when uh yeah when it's practical you know and i try and travel with ice boots uh i find the ones where you stick the ice in uh the best those gel ones just don't quite hold the cold long enough uh and then yeah if you're at a show and you don't have a a a big freezer to get them cool again then it's it's really hard yeah so definitely yeah if they jump hard if i'm just doing pole work or cavalettis then I'm not going to do that, but I find uh, getting yeah getting the horses enough turnout one of the best things so they can keep walking around. I find that the best thing for getting any f- fill down in their legs, and then just generally just yeah paying attention to their legs a lot. And yeah, if they've had a hard week, very similar, I'll back them off a little bit, uh, so not doing not overloading that for too long. Yeah. And I'll mention too, is I, I put liniment, if I can't ice, I have Sornomore liniment or, or, you know, something at least to, um, I don't poultice as much as I used to, um, now that I'm show jumping more, cause usually we're jumping back to back and taking off the poultice can be kind of cumbersome when you have an eight o'clock class. Um, and I'm not a morning person, so I'm a little more fan of the liniment unless they're going to jump massive or do cross country or, you know, something like that, that is a little more strenuous than, you know, you put the effort in. But, uh, I find I put sort of more on myself after I work out, I'm like rubbing it all over me. I'm like, Oh, now I feel real good. So if it makes me feel good, hopefully it makes the horses feel good. <laughs> yeah. I like using uh, horse products on myself, you know, it's probably not going to in the long run, but you know, <laughs> You get the full, full strength stuff. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Oh, man. So we have a show today. Um, yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to, we have an Australian guest, and I always find those interviews to be so inspiring. You guys have a, a little bit different way of thinking than the Americans or even the British, and um, it's cool to hear different different places and how they work with the horses. So Yeah, it's always interesting, you know, noting what's similar, what's different. I think at the you know, at the core, there's usually more similarities than differences. Uh, so I find that comforting that we sort of generally <laughs> all have the same goal and, you know, idea and principle behind looking after the horses. Yep, for sure. Uh, auditor, what are we going to chat about with them? Yeah, so we, we have an auditor on. And for anyone that doesn't know what an auditor is, it's a super listener um, that helps keep the show going and they actually get special content and there's a whole Facebook page, which Charlie, you need to go and get on cause I'm sure all the ladies will go nuts for you. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, so we're going to talk to her. She just bought a foal and, uh, that should be really exciting to hear. Cause as someone who has bought a couple young horses, you know, it's quite a journey and sometimes the journey takes you in places you didn't even think it would. And so it'd be really cool to hear her experience just looking at them. I don't know how she picked one because they're all adorable and you just want to squish their little noses. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's rip into it. Fantastic. Well, let's get to um, Supreme Top Form real quick and have a chat with them because without them, the show would not run. You know, they've got some great products on the market their joint supplement is 99.8 percent pure glucosamine hydrochloride and 99 percent pure hyaluronic acid it is concentrated and easy to feed cost effective it is independently lab tested for purity so you know that what you get is on the label they have both dog and horse supplements which is great for any horse person you don't see many horse people without a dog visit panamvetcore.com for more information and in fact we even spoke to the founder of a supreme top form a couple episodes ago and she was really interesting it was really good to hear how she developed everything and she even has her birds on the joint supplements you know <laughs> to keep them a little more supple i thought that was yeah really a little interesting. a little more flappy and yeah. i will say you know you really don't see a horse person without a dog. I was just in Kentucky, like we said, and I swear there were more dogs and horses and there's probably 60 horses on the surrounding properties um, that all trained on the one ring and everybody had a dog and I brought Weldon, my dog, my little fluffy white dog and um, who just barked. Shh. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's like, yep, that's me. Don't you talk about me. Um, but he had probably... 12 dogs to play with at one time and we're just running amok it was like a wild wolf pack all right let's get to our first guest we're very lucky today to have alistair mclean in the studios he's director and head trainer at the australian equine behavior center down in the on the Manornington peninsula of victoria australia so welcome alistair yeah thanks for having me no problem so you've got a pretty horsey family if you could just you know explain to the listeners a little bit about what the rest of your family members do 
uh, and then how you got into horses, I think will be pretty obvious. Or if it wasn't always your chosen path, what made you follow in the footsteps of the rest of the family? Yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean, we've got about five generations of, of horsiness in our family, I guess you could say. Um, but in my immediate family now, uh, myself and my brother, we're both um, professional trainers. Um, and my sister, um, she's the business manager for my parents' company, which is um, basically managing their horsey lives and, and also the online course. So growing up... Um, my sister was actually the most horsey out of the lot. Um, she's seven years older than me, um, but she did all the pony camp, pony club, all of that. Um, and my brother and myself, my brother's 10 years older than me, and uh, we were both more into motorbikes growing up and just did the odd uh, pony camp, probably just to hang out with some girls uh, more than anything growing up. But um, yeah, funnily enough, we both ended up um, taking on the business of kind of breaking in and... Um, I guess, uh, rehabbing some difficult kind of horses. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of brings us to now where my brother's training overseas in Germany. He's got a dressage stable over there. Um, and he's very successful. And yeah, I've got the Australian behavior center, um, which is my parents' business. And we've taken over that and run that here. Sounds uh, like a story I can relate to. I was much more into BMX and motorbike riding than horses as a early teenager and uh yeah probably for similar motivations got a bit more into into horses and here we are here we are today talking all about it and uh <laughs> so even though podcast about breeding and sales more specifically we thought we wanted a guest that deals a lot with uh yeah young horses retraining horses but also someone that has experience with uh, handling and educating, you know, foals or young horses, and can give advice on pe to people for their horse before they might go to the breaker. So, um, before we get all into that, how how's your business been affected with the coronavirus? They've had some, you know, fairly serious lockdowns in Victoria. What's it like down on the farm? Yeah, it's been very interesting, actually. I mean, early on there was a lot of kind of yeah. Um, hype about how it would affect it but um and and initially we did notice some we had a big backlog of training which was lucky for us so we could work through that and then there was a bit of a drop off on the phone for a while um but then it it kind of everyone got over that and i think horsey people always want to spend money on their horses maybe over everything else sometimes so business has probably never been busier for us um and yeah, and, and just right now, actually very busy for me, my partner, Ricky, she's just had a bit of an accident with her foot. So is out for six weeks. And so my, my day has gone from six or seven client horses for myself to do to now, yeah, 12, which is not so fun. But anyway, that's how it is. You might have to work for a living for a change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we just What's call it staying fit. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Fitness far out. You won't have any time to eat. <laughs> what's the What's the importance uh, that you find for in relation to groundwork and ridden work with horses? You know how, let's say, you get a horse in for training. You know, do you just hop straight on it, or how do you go about assessing it as to where it needs the most work? 
Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, pretty much no matter, I mean, unless it's, um, and when we've got a booking form that hopefully the owner's been very honest with exactly where the horse is up to and what it needs training. So that, that gives us a good idea as to whether it's a horse that we can kind of hop straight on if it's a lot more educated and just has issues with, you know, a certain movement or whatever. But the horses that come in that maybe have had a long break after being started or something like that and started by someone else, there's definitely things on the ground. And I would say groundwork for us is probably more important than putting it on the lunge um, to see in terms of its reaction to pressure. And that, that to me is is what I feel safe with is when I deal with a horse on the ground and actually test its ability to, you know, step back and its understanding of its space and our space, how it responds to pressure, moving its shoulders away and things like that. Um, if it has a reaction to kind of push in and stiffen and run backwards, then that's a good indication of what, you know, it might do to other pressure when we're riding it. So we work through a lot of groundwork um, initially and then once they've got the idea with that we might put them on the lunge and then and then I'll and then I'll swing a leg over and hopefully be okay. And are there any things that you'd like you know you think would be good for people to work on or specific exercises with their groundwork? Let's say they've got a young horse before they send it to you uh, for for starting yeah. under saddle. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a number of things that are really important and it it does really come down to, again, just making sure the horse has the right concept of how to respond to pressure. And, and so it doesn't really matter what specifically you teach them, but just that the horse gets to a stage where it really learns to, you know, to respond to the pressure and back off the pressure, for example, to get rid of it. So I know a lot of people, you know, with foals in a, stable and things like that they leave the lead rope a little bit longer so the horse learns to stand on it and you know when it feels that pressure on its neck they learn to back off it or or keep the neck down whatever the horse you know is more inclined to choose but it's it's certainly better than the horse you know freaking out and running away from that pressure um in terms of groundwork um it's really noticeable which horses have just learnt what we call kind of park um which is just that the horse you know, it stands still until told otherwise, basically. I mean, young horses, they're, they're never going to be perfect, even if you've had the best training. But if they have that good understanding that, you know, when they get a fright, they, they don't run over the top of you because they've learnt to, to stand still. And when they, when they go to step forward, they've repeatedly been stepped back to their own, you know, space. And they learn that, they learn through that to not need to, you know, that, that whatever scared them is not necessarily something that they need to run away from if they just stand still um it all goes away so it's really noticeable i think that idea of them just understanding their own space and not to intrude in on ours no matter what is is the most important thing particularly we get a lot of frisians and horses that have a lot of power low down across the ground and um, I mean, just using Frisians as an example, but there are plenty of others, the ones that <laughs> they get a fright and they really flatten over the top of you. And it's that, that's not a good understanding of pressure. And that, that can be dangerous when you, when you go to ride them, if it's not sorted out early. Yeah, definitely. I think that when I was over in America, they call that uh, ground tying. Uh, yeah. Probably yep. drive yes. a few of the horses with Swedish fish to do that. <laughs> 
And just explain a bit more about it to the listeners. So with the parking, you step them back when they step forward. Is that off the halter pressure? I guess if we're doing a young horse, he's probably still in the halter, not in a bridle. Are there any other yeah, things to yeah. when, you know, asking them to park, like whether they're a bit more yeah. agitated, whether they're calmer, does that affect it? Yeah, it's certainly, um, the halter is definitely the best way to go. I mean, I, I, I like to have the horse pretty, like really good on the groundwork before ever putting a bridle on uh, because with the halter you can be you can be a little bit you know firmer if you need to be to say hey don't don't run me over as well as the when the horse is you know a weanling or yearling they're much smaller and it is much physically easier to keep them and teach them those concepts of not running through you and parking so yeah if the horse steps forward um and and this could be anything in terms of even if it's you know just a little fright or no fright at all. The horse just wants to step forward. We specifically teach them that when they do step forward without us asking them to come forward, then yeah, we'll step them back to where they were. Um, and that that is usually from the halter, but we also teach them out in front of them as well. We step away from them. And if they go to step forward towards us, you could use a bit of a shake of the lead or something like that until they respond and step back. Um, all of those you've got to test the rules. So it's it's no use just teaching Park and being like, yep, he's not stepping forward into me like this. You've got to test it, move away from them. Do they try and follow you? Test it in some more, you know, test it on top of a tarp or on top of a bridge. Make, make the question a little bit more challenging as they get better at it so that it's more deeply embedded into their understanding. And do you find that, easier with a young naive horse or you know is it a bit like you can't teach an old dog new tricks when you get an older horse in for retraining that it takes a lot longer yeah and it's it's not i mean with horses i find you really can teach an old horse they, they learn just as fast as a young horse in terms of if it's something completely naive like clicker training for example they, they pick up that very well however with pressure training, it's so uh, more, much more difficult for an older horse if they've had other instances in their life where they've learnt to push through pressure. So it becomes really, um, yeah, I guess just too much of what they've already learnt wrong um, for them to pick it up as easily as a horse that's learnt it right from the from the beginning. And if someone has bred a horse, is there you know, is there a particular age or a frequency you recommend for people to have have these, you know, handling sessions done? Yeah, well, I think it, it all comes back. I mean, there's very limited handling with what you can do with a foal um, or a weanling. I mean, it's generally just standing, you know, to an angle from their shoulder and teaching them to lead forward like that, not directly standing in front of them and pulling them forward because then they're more likely to rear up from the pressure or using bum ropes and stuff like that is can be really good too to just teach them that idea of going forward and with a foal though it's yeah it's, it's definitely not even a, a it's it's when you need to move them is when you when you would train it but certainly you wouldn't go into the paddock just to train them it's just when you need it you make that a little session um as a yearling yeah it could be whatever the horse requires you might do you know two times a week for just a couple of weeks to teach them something and then not touch them for another couple of months or whatever. It, it's, again, when you need it, but you need to do it 
enough that it does, you know, create some understanding um, for the horse. But it, it, sh- it should never be about working and it should never be any frequency more than, you know, I think three times a week would be a lot. Some of our listeners might have might have bought a horse, bought a young horse from the breeder. Uh, how, if let's say the horse isn't wanting to go on the float, how would we, how is a way that we'd go about getting it on the float or educating it to load up better? Yeah, well, I think you've got to break the break the training down and and probably not not view the floating. You know, if floating is an issue, or if even if it isn't an issue, but don't really see that the question is the float, but the question is just really going forward into you know into spaces or over obstacles that the horse is not familiar with. So you can teach the horse, you know, certain tools like uh, we use um, the whip as kind of like an extension of our arm and and not for anything hard, but just to be able to reach a certain part of their body to help motivate them forward. Um, the lead rein is very, it's not very motivating when you just pull on their head and you've got to go over a scary obstacle. Um, but being able to tap on the belly where our leg would sit is a great uh, spot on their body to teach them to move forward. Um, so you could use that as well as on their shoulders to teach them to step left and right whilst they're in front of you. When you've got those tools of forward and step left and step right, as well as backwards off the lead rein, you've then got the tools to be able to dissect any problem that you come up with. So, you know, you could start with something like a, a little bridge or a, or a pole or whatever and, and teach them to walk over that and, and, and actually walk straight over it, not walk forward and step to the right and then over it, but teach, really make it very specific in how you do it and improve that and then by the time you get to the float of course it's going to be scary but you've got the tools that if they step to the right you can tap that right shoulder and move them back to straight if they go backwards you can continually tap until they stop and take a step forward and then release the pressure and you've already trained you know you've already kind of um given them experiences where you've had to practice that but maybe with something slightly less scary than than going into a, a dark you know, float or something like that. Yeah, it can be pretty confronting for a young horse, but I guess you just have to do everything really gradually, step by step, and that uh, consistent pressure release, I think, is sounds like it's pretty important. Um, yeah, and I think, too, just even, like, make that's the beauty of young horses is, is you really have time to get that right, whereas later on in their life, it's, you know, you feel pressured that you've got to be working on other things, so you've got this really good amount of time when they're a yearling and, you know, through to their two and two year old kind of stage where you can practice all these things and make them habits. And yeah. Now, Alistair, so going back to kind of say the person has bought a a horse from the breeder and they need to get it and onto in America, we call it the trailer, um, not a float, but how <laughs> tomato tomato um <laughs> how do we you know get the horse from one farm to the other how could we introduce that say we don't have the time to do all of those things but maybe we could do a couple quick sessions yeah you know right before throwing them on a, a trailer or a float yeah well it- you you can apply all of the exact same things. I mean, you don't have to 
do all of those things that I was talking about. But if you do want to skip some steps, then all it requires is that you're a more experienced handler and, and can right. therefore, you know, handle, you know, more evasions if they if they come. They may not. I mean, I must admit, we, we go out and do a lot of float loading jobs and I would say 99% of the time we get the horse on the float the first, you know, the first session. It's not an issue. But, you know, if you're dealing with horses that have been scared of it and have, you know, some issues with it, then... Um, then yeah, it can it can require a bit more skill, but still exactly the same concepts because okay. it's it's obvious to a horse that you know if it steps to the right and it feels pressure on the right side of its body and it only goes away, they learn very quickly to then step back to the left. And likewise, if they run backwards and you tap them on the belly, and the moment they take a step forward because you're also pulling on the lead, that the pressure goes away. They learn those rules very quickly, and you can use that you know that same concept and, and same aids um, to get them on. But if you really have to move a horse, horses are often, you know, um, you know, ignorance is police a little bit. What they don't know doesn't hurt them. So often I find that they, I'm amazed at these horses that just, you know, get on the float, you know, one way or another and, and make it to the, to the next place. We get that all the time at our center, yep. but there are still some that don't. Um, so this, this, you know, system of just being able to use the whip really effectively and smoothly, um, you know, ensures that you could get, you know, all of them on the float calmly and it could be a positive learning experience as well rather than just following, you know, a, a, a bag of feed up onto the float. That's not technically a, you know, it's a good learning experience in that they get on there, but the problem is is when they don't want to go because they maybe associate the float with, work or something like that in the end a, a or, bag of feet may longer I, may not be motivating enough <laughs> yeah. and do you use a rope halter or a webbing you know, just a nylon webbing halter when you're doing these uh float loading jobs yeah it's well i must admit i just use whatever the owner's got um but <laughs> if i was yeah if i was to if i was to prefer one i mean the the rope halter is is better if if the horse tries to you know pull away and stuff like that but i do find that sometimes the where the lead rope attaches is a bit you know can be a bit long and the fit isn't great on them they can be quite loose yeah. so it depends a very well fitted rope holder is great but usually the nylon one i find is is absolutely fine they generally fit better and and if you're good at you know at smoothly you know guiding the shoulders with the whip that you don't really have those issues as much generally the horse will just run backwards but straight and and that's not going to matter whether you've got a rope one on or a nylon one yeah i think uh whatever whatever the owners have i've i used to have to do that i now take a really good rope halter around but then yeah sometimes yeah. i'd fit the horse and then that's counterproductive if it rubs it on the it rubs up under the eye or doesn't fit under the chin exactly. um yeah and that timing of the whip tap you know when they when they start to do the wrong thing, not letting them just wander away, I find that really, really useful. Yeah, and, and just the timing and, and, you know, the amount of, it's not how hard you tap or anything like that. It's just being able to smoothly, you know, keep on tapping at a consistent pressure that is, you know, not, not an amount that makes them nervous or anything like that, but enough that does motivate them to do something other than running through it. Yeah. Well, well, and sometimes horses are peace seekers. So if you create a lot of noise and noise being the tapping, 
and then they start to do or at least think about doing the right thing, you you silence the noise, they tend exactly. to pick up yeah. on that, right? So yeah. that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, when so you don't do you don't take on sales horses though, you just like fixing everyone's problems and, and starting from the beginning. Is that is that right with your business? Yeah. It, pretty much. We only take a, we only sell horses that we um, break in ourselves, and even then, um, not that often. We try to avoid selling horses because it doesn't really fit in with um, our yeah business model and what we do. Um, and yeah, we've found we have done them in the past, but I guess when <laughs> it, it's not when good for the reputation always. What about you've you've got a couple horses that you've bought as young horses, or do you like them a bit older, or do you prefer them, you know, a bit more of a clean slate? Yeah, we well we um, yeah just this morning we're looking at a horse that's ten months old, so I guess we've bought quite a few of those and just take them through. Sometimes we've sold them just after they're breaking in. Um, sometimes we've bought some horses. We've certainly bought a lot of wrong horses too, thinking that we could fix them and make them great but it turns out that in the end only we can ride them and they're not rideable for the type of clientele that would you know want that horse so that that's always tricky um but generally we like to buy horses yeah young that are a clean slate um or just ready to be broken in do you get students of yours asking for you to come and and look at potential horses to buy horses that are a bit more experienced and already being ridden under saddle yeah sometimes um yeah, definitely. We we get sent, you know, quite a few videos and things like that. What are what are some things you know that you look at for a, a client? You know, that might be a little bit different than normal uh, on the videos, or is it, you know, just does it does it seem to be a good match, or is there anything else you'd look for? Yeah, I mean, you. I, I always like to see uh, not so much the new or the potential buyer riding the horse, but I like to look at the person who owns the horse riding the horse and that that really is you know the way it's ridden and you know if they you, you can see if it's a ridden horse sometimes we get sent horses that are just running around in the paddock and i mean that's pretty hard to tell um but then you might look at their breeding lines a bit more but in terms of ridden horses i like watching the actual um rider riding the horse and you can see if they're riding it in a way that might be covering up something i think you know canter transitions tell a lot um in terms of their initial reaction to the leg aid into that transition and you know good riders can cover that up if there's something that still needs to be addressed in there that um maybe a, you know more, a more novice rider might not be able to see but yeah there are certainly some things that are telltale signs i mean often when you get a an owner who gets on and rides the horse, they, they don't ride it, at least the clients that we have, certainly they don't ride it to the horse's, you know, potential like what the owner um, does and, and therefore it can look very sweet that after a while it can show a few things when they stop riding and in a way that, um, yeah, that I guess controls all of those things. And why are the canter transition and not maybe the walk to trot transition or a downward transition? Yeah, I mean, downward transitions are also very important to be able to see the horse's reaction, you know, to the bit and, and to our seat and stuff like that. But I think mm -hmm. majority of horses' issues actually stem from uh, going 
forwards. Um, and 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 when we think about issues like that, obviously, then we need to be able to have a good ability to to stop the horse if something goes wrong. But the original issue is generally to do with the leg into the contact. And I just find that a lot of young horses, because the horses that we um, get sent in terms of videos to look at are, are always young horses, pretty much um, just been broken in, something like that. And into the canter, you get a good idea as to when the when the legs go on, if the tail switches a bit or, the, or the, they want to just uh, drop the neck down and pull down through the bit or shake the head, stiffen their back, or if they're really nice into the canter transition, it gives you a very good idea as to their level of education um, and and how they accept the aids. Well, Kayla, what about yours? How are your horses trot canter transitions? <laughs> I'm questioning them right now, actually. I'm like, huh, interesting. All right. Uh, <laughs> need to work on those. Uh, <laughs> that... Um, you know, hollows a bit into the canter tra- trot to canter transition, or is, um, you know, or let's say they go in, they sort of. I, I find a lot of you know, horse and old amateur horses might sort of just pig root a little or crow hop when they go into the transition. Is that obviously, um, you know, every case is a bit different, but is there anything that you find is a common denominator there to be fixed? Yeah, it comes back again to. I mean, you can just, I, I just find sometimes the canter transition itself is more specific than other transitions. So that's why it's a good sign of, you know, the education trot is just, you can get away with a good trot transition just because if you push the walk big enough, they go smoothly into trot. Um, and yeah, you can get resistance, but it's not the same kind of, you know, thing that you get with the canter where they run and hollow their back or something like that. So um, we fix a lot of canter transitions a lot by one staying you know, if their issue is to hollow the back when they feel the canter transition, a lot of it is actually because of the rider's, you know, seat. You know, maybe they've sat, you know, too long before the canter was actually produced by the aid. So we'll, we'll do a lot of rising trot where we rise, you know, right to the right to the moment that they break into the canter versus going sit, sit, sit and, and doing that. And the other one too is that when, when they feel the canter, particularly the outside leg, you know, coming on a little, you know, just before the inside leg, that that makes the left shoulder, if we're on the left rein, really dive in and, and grab the inside of the bit. So for us, it's a lot about, you know, really making sure they understand um, in the tr- basic trot work on a circle that, you know, you can move them forward in the trot off the outside leg on its own and that they don't dive in. And if they do, then you press a bit more on the inside leg and take the, the hands to the outside and say, no, stay on my line from the outside leg pushing you forward and then the same from the inside and you just realign the body from the leg aids and teach them that when they feel this leg aid that it doesn't mean you know stiffen and and run in that they understand at least a a pathway of of how to use their body from the leg aids and then you'll be in a better position to manage you know the reaction into it with your with your reins and seat if they're not you know making such a mistake from the initial leg aid um, and the other, and the other one too is, is re- in terms of when they make these mistakes is, is making sure that you're not, you know, too, I guess, rough with, with how you correct. I've seen a lot of, you know, people that get really flustered by the horse, not picking up the canter when they want to, and, and then really throwing their body rather than just, you know, waiting, reassessing, bring it back, you know, get the tools working again and then, and then just wait for it to happen.
So if the horse is a little hollow and rushing in the trot to canter transition, you're not recommending throwing a set of draw reins on to keep its head down? Well, yeah, certainly not going to. It, it can, I guess, you know, from the outside, it can look like it, it fixes a lot, but it's not fixing the horse's reaction. You know, the horse is still feeling um, the the reaction from the leg in the wrong way through to the bit. It's just that it's not able to show it with its neck. And and in the end, you want you want the neck to be the the indicator that something's wrong with the reaction because that's that's what tells you. And so in the end, you end up with a horse often that is very set in the neck, round in appearance, but um, becomes very stiff because that pressure isn't wasn't able to be relieved because the mm. way the horse reacts is not in a balanced way. I uh, guess it's what we hear from a lot of the top trainers. It sounds like you just the old adage of riding the horse from the back to the front and you know having a balanced seat i guess that never that never goes astray yeah <laughs> it, um, um, it, it, yeah what were you gonna say alistair i was just gonna say yeah it's it's if if you've got you know the generally the i mean it, it just goes on that it's, it's it's all if you've got a really balanced seat and you know how to then the transition is not not an issue it's it's just if you don't have you know the ability to keep all of those things and that's where the problems come from and who would you go to or who are there any people um that you look at like let's say on you know whether it's you're talking to your family at home or whether you're looking at people on the internet for fixing problems with you know young horses or um let's say someone's bought a horse and it's got some issues, you know, where would you go to for information on this? Um, I, I watch, um, I guess a lot of my own stuff is from my own experience and what I've learned from my own family, but that's, you know, there. that's that's not going to fix every problem in the world and you can always learn more. But, I, I mean, I watch a lot of, a lot of stuff on the internet. Um, I, I have signed up to a few, like, you know, dressage programs and stuff like that, but I find... Um, you know, a lot of the footage you get is, is not really very, you know, they show you what it looks like when it's perfect, but you don't necessarily see the corrections of the mistakes. So, um, but I do watch a lot of videos of, of top riders, Charlotte and Carl, and really analyze how they ride in the warm up. If you can find those videos and, and analyze exactly what they're doing with the, what you can see that's obvious. Um, but I also get a lot of inspiration from from any you know natural horsemanship as well because that that's really at the core the issues that people have are often basic issues that come about in you know in higher level stuff but it's often basic issues so I've I've certainly watched a few techniques at Equitana and stuff like that and um, a few demonstrations that have helped me along the way with certain issues and yeah. Well, thanks very much for coming on, Alistair. That's been fantastic talking about a few different uh, issues that might need resolving for our listeners. And if our listeners want to get in contact with you or check out your website a little bit more, that's www.aebc.com.au. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks again, mate, and hopefully talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Okay, and we have auditor Danny Russell on to chat with us about her experience horse shopping and the buying process from buying a KWPN foal. Um, and just a side note, if you want to become an auditor and help support the Horse Radio Network and all of its shows, just go to thehorseradionetwork.com, click on the auditor banner on the right side of the page, and just sign on up. It's good fun. There's an awesome Facebook page where we all meet and greet and chat about our horse crazy lives. And uh, that's how we met Danny. So Danny, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) It's always his pleasure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Danny, tell us what's your baby horse's name? Okay, so um, so the breeder that I bought her from names all of her horses uh, Hawaiian names. So her registered name is Poevi, which is P-O-E-V-A-I. Um, and I think it means something like queen of beauty, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. And then I think she's going to go by Evie. I, but, it dep- you know, when she gets here, it depends on her personality. If that doesn't fit her, I'll have to find something else. Yeah. Right. It's an AV, she can let her hair hang down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> where, is, where is this breeder that you found, and how did you come across that breeder? Yeah, so she is down in San Juan Batista, which is just south of San Jose. The breeder is called Leo Loma, uh, Dutch Warm Bloods. And I actually found her through another auditor, uh, Emily Bentz, who had tagged me in a um, video and said, Hey, you should really check this one out. And Emily and I had been going back and forth looking at polls that had been posted on Facebook and different videos. And it's so hard to <laughs> like pick one, but she posted on one of them and I was like, Oh, she's really pretty. Um, so that's how I got, um, like hooked into that breeder. And then, then I ended up finding out that there were quite a few other people up here in Oregon that had bought horses from her. So um, I was able to kind of connect with them and learn a little bit more. And so just to clarify for everyone, San Jose is in California. And so San Juan Batista yeah. is just, just below in California. Mm-hmm. So you, you got right. on an airplane and f- you flew to meet the baby in COVID I times? I, I know it was kind of crazy and I was a little nervous about it, but honestly, Alaska was pretty amazing. Alaska Airlines. Um, there were barely anybody on the flight. I was you know, going to say for a minute. The whole time. I was going <clears> to <throat> say for a minute. I was like, Alaska, wait, we're talking about California. Yeah. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> you accidentally get sold an elk or a moose and they totally got <laughs> Well, she's not <laughs> long enough yeah. legs. She looks like an elk. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your plan yeah. going into this? What's your goal? Obviously, I guess you want to do dressage. Uh, and at what mm-hmm. point did you go, no, I want to fall rather than going, no, I yeah. want a five-year-old or a 10-year-old? Where, where, what was your head at? So when I started looking and kind of trying to figure out what path I wanted to go with, um, I really just kind of started to look at what was on the market. And um, it was it felt fairly cost prohibitive to look at one that was about five and under, under saddle because you know for good reason they're fairly spendy um so when i said okay well i i want to go this route i want to go dutch warm blood um when i started looking at the full prices i was like 
well, I could do that. And then, you know, it's definitely a different journey. Um, but I have a 16 year old uh, Arabian that I've done endurance with. So I, you know, when I was looking at a second horse, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a, I still have a rideable horse. Um, so ha- getting a baby is, you know, I have the time to spend and I'm pretty excited about that journey of doing in-hand shows with her and taking her to inspection and all of that. I guess Kayla's done uh, those sort of things with her young Millie the filly, mm-hmm. haven't you, Kayla? I have, yeah. and it's actually, it's really fun. It's it's cool to see them grow, um, but it's mm-hmm. a long time to wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a very impatient person. I'm like, are you old enough yet? I want to get on you. <laughs> like, let's let's yeah. speed this up. Um, yeah, but I'm already, like, telling myself that because I know that she's probably going to top out at about 17 hands, so I know I want to wait till the later part of three or even four or five to back her. So I'm like, all right, I got to be patient. Luckily there's plenty of horses in the barn that I can ride until then. But yeah, it's going to be hard. And what are your plans? Have you already thought about who's going to back her or is your trainer helping with that or how does that work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm assuming that my trainer will be backing her because this is the other fun part of our plan is my trainer also just bought a filly who will be here Sunday night or Monday morning. Um, And so we'll have the two babies together and they'll be basically out on pasture together for about three years is the plan. So um, we'll be backing them like right around the same time. Should work out perfectly. Yeah. Does that mean if, if, uh, you know, Evie's the better of the two, you know, are you worried that they might try and steal Evie off you? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think uh, I, her her baby is really stinking cute, too. She's from Canada Dream Farms in Ontario. Um, and I don't know. I think yeah. uh, we'll just see how it <laughs> plays out. <laughs> man, that's another, like, Alaska, Canada. Man, you got all over the <laughs> world, world traveler. And what was the process right. like when you went to the farm in, in California? You know, what was your plan going in there? What did you want to look at or what did you want to mm-hmm. see with the horse, you know, to before you made your final decision? Yeah, so I went down and I I was really looking um, for her, like, just to see how her movement was and a little bit of her personality. Um She's a beautiful mover. She's really elastic at her canter and she's really floaty trot. Um, And I really went down there just to be sure that she was the exact one that I wanted because the breeder had um, a couple others that were available as well, which I got to look at. Um, Honestly, it's really hard when you're buying a foal. I mean, Kayla, you know, because they're all so cute and it's really hard to distinguish. But just want to squeeze their noses. I know. And I was just kind of looking at their movement and how, and how she was reacting. She's a little shy. Um, and a couple of the other, um, fillies were not so shy, but there was something about her that just stood out to me. And I was like, well, I bet I'm, I'm hoping that she comes out of her shell a little bit. I'm assuming that she will once, you know, she gets hands on her all the time. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I was looking for. Uh, Kayla, is there any of those sort of foal shows, in-hand shows or classifications, is there any 
of those things that you'd sort of put in the highly recommend category mm. or some of the things you've done you go in the you know not so strongly recommend category yeah i mean i really like the young horse show series it's a new series um that's come out that they really highlight everything from yearlings to five-year-olds um and it's a great calm way to introduce them to show life um you know the yearlings just go and they show in hand and they just they're not handled the way um like the young event horse for example you you trot the horse in a triangle um and and you walk them you walk and trot them um and stand them up um this takes even that aspect out of it a little bit you they stand them up they look at their confirmation and then they actually let them go in an indoor or an enclosed area and they just watch them move freely um so but yet you're still handling the horse before and after you're waiting your turn. Um, obviously a lot of people braid cause they take pride in showing off the horse. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, it, it's a little more low key, you know, you're not con- like connected to the horse all the time. The horse can relax for a second, just trot around, smell the flowers, smell the decorations, look at the people watching and just go, Oh my God, who are you? Um, and you're not, constantly jerking on their face the whole time um so i really like that and plus you can do it every single year until they're five so you can kind of see the progression um i do like the young event horse stuff too i think you know the one thing is it's all really subjective so if you really love your baby and you get some negative feedback it does hurt a little (laughs) you're like no my baby's Mm -hmm. the best (laughs) but (laughs) yeah mine's the cutest um (laughs) But, but yeah, have a baby sometimes you've got to, you've got to be able to uh, accept that. I remember I had a young event horse and she got scored really badly one year and, you know, she just had a bad day. And then, you know, three or four years later, she was com- competing intermediate, no problems at all and, and beating, you know, some of the horses that had won. So you've, you've got to, yeah, not get too worried with those little minor blips on the road, mm-hmm. I guess. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's the day. I mean, it's no different than showing even your older horse. You know, everybody has a day where sometimes they don't come out to play and you're like, really? (laughs) Today's the day you decide to do this? Um, But, you know, and with young horses, it's more often than not. (laughs) You're like, today's the day? Yeah. Not yesterday. Not the day before that. Today? Cool. Cool. Um, But that's also the really nice thing is with the young the young horse show series is, and the young event horse stuff is the the judges know that and they're just looking more on natural movement and, and everything like that. And I think it's all nice low key stuff. Um, I know on the East coast, we even um, Caliborn farm did something with the Upperville show last year before COVID and did a jump shoot for the three and four-year-olds that were then going to probably go and do the five and six-year-old classes at Upperville the following years. Um, and that was really fun too, because then you get to watch your horse jump and the young horse show series does that too, where they do the jump shoot and it's always really cool to see your horse go through and work out and they, mm-hmm. there might be the minor spill where you're like, oh, that was ugly. And then they come around and you're like, oh, you are smart. Cool. <laughs> so. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's, it's, okay, cool. It's a fair way from, you know, 
as California, San Juan Batista up to Oregon. So what's the plan with, with the shipper there? Uh, mm-hmm. Is that going straight or is it, is it in with another horse or how does, you know, does it get a, a, a small stall or a normal size stall? Are there any, uh, I haven't sh- traveled a foal that far in, in a while. Yeah. So it's about 10 hour, it's about a 10 hour drive. So I'm using um, a really well-known shipper in this area, um, and she's going to be in a box stall, but they'll go straight through. Um, yeah. I think it's like, I think they'll have a little break around four or five hours, and they'll switch drivers, and then yeah. they'll keep gum- coming up. But it'll be, I think what she said, it was going to be overnight. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds so. pretty good. We don't, we don't really do the box stalls in Australia. Uh, but that mm-hmm. sounds like a good idea, so they can sort of yeah, get her head down a little bit and and mm-hmm. eat a little bit um, to make it less. Yeah, stressful. and she'll still be, yeah, she'll still be pretty small. Well, small-ish, right? Because she'll be just under six months when she makes the trip. Yeah. So. And, yeah. and how old is she now? So she was born May twenty-sixth, so June, July. So she's about four months right now. And so when are they going to wean her? Are they weaning her and they then will, putting on a trailer? They will wean her middle of October, like third week of October. And then she will come home hopefully right around Thanksgiving. So just about three, three and a half weeks um, after weaning, she'll stay at the farm and then get on a trailer and go. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so she's got lots of time to make sure that she's confident from weaning her mom and she's good at trailer loading and and all that good stuff. Perfect. And do you have any recommendations for people looking to buy a foal? Like what research, what you need to ask trainers, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, well, the, the best advice is don't be blinded because they're all cute. you know try to have um at least for me like I didn't care about gender I didn't care about color although I really didn't want to trust that but I would have taken it if it was the right um, (laughs) situation but I was really looking like I sent videos to I have two different trainers so I sent them to both trainers saying hey what are your thoughts on this and I think both of them really helped me to not get blinded by oh they're cute or you know, oh, they're, they got a really fancy trot because we were really looking for a foal that had more of that elastic canter to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, for me, I, I felt like I didn't want to limit myself by gender, or by color. Um, I just wanted the right fit. Um, although, you know, some people, you know, want something specific, but I felt like that was really helpful for me when trying to make the right decision. And then also just like, reaching out to people who have done it before, like having conversations with Emily and she's actually breed, I think breed leasing two of the mares from this breeder. So she knew her really well. Um, and I'm pretty sure my foal is like a niece or something to one of those mares. Um, but reaching out to people who have done it before and, you know, kind of know what they're looking for and, and what to ask. Uh, because that was also, I'm like, I don't even know. Like, am I, am I asking about a personality? I don't know at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, right. Account. Have, uh, 
have you got any questions for Kayla or I with you know in regards to the journey? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm still wrapping my um, mind around the inspection part of the KWPN. So, like, you know, when she, I think, is when she's three is when they can go through inspection to be in the um, the breed book. Is that right, Kayla? Well, so I haven't done KWPN specifically. I've done Oldenburg, and they usually get inspected okay. at their mother's side. Um, okay. You're- Ask questions about things we know about. Okay? Yeah, you gotta ask questions yeah. that we know. About. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. The only Dutch horse I bought was was four, and he was already registered and f- flew on a plane over yeah. from from there. So I don't know. Um, but but yeah. I mean, it sounds interesting. Well, I did see the stallion approval process when I was down in trying at the Young Horse Show series, and that was really mm. cool. Because they use the same jump shoot as us. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, I don't know anything about the foals. Uh, Danny. Yeah, and I know that. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say, uh, Danny, it's, uh, it's been great to have you on. And, um, you know, I'm sure we're going to be doing this podcast still in a few years. So uh, <laughs> if you do have any questions, yeah. I can't wait. We'll just send them through and we'll do our research a little better. And, yeah. and hopefully, you a more informed response next time. Well, I'm sure. Thanks for having me on. What a fantastic show. I'm so excited. We have such interesting guests on every time. At least I think so. And Charlie, you always get the best. At least they have a good accent, you know? Um, well, that's important. That's, it's all about the sound, not about the content, really. <laughs> and that was long- good to follow Danny's journey as she goes. I hope she can uh, keep us posted. Absolutely. Well, Charlie, where can they find you at if anybody wants to stalk you? Ah, uh, well, just like I said, coming into bushfire season, use a few smoke signals if you want. That'll have me running. Uh, or you can use Facebook, Brista Equestrian is my page, and also on Instagram, Brista Equestrian and BristaEquestrian.com. Uh, although I have just started up a new company, Blue Gum Performance. So let's talk about that a bit more next episode, I think. What about you, Kayla? Absolutely. Well, they can find me at Kayla Benny or Selkuth Sport Horses, um, selkuthsporthorses.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I even have a TikTok, um, you know, trying to stay current with these young whippersnappers, which they just keep telling me I'm old. So whatever. But um, you can find today's links for today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can also follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. And you can have all the Horse Radio Network shows wherever you go with our free app on iPhone or Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. And I just want to give a huge thank you to our title sponsor, Supreme Top Form. And thank you to thank you to Charlie. Like, thank you for coming on once a month, taking time out of your morning when you should be riding horses to uh, come and chat with us. I know uh, it's my pleasure as usual. Um, I do definitely <laughs> feel looking at one of my friends picking out a yard. Another one of my friends is riding one of the horses. We've got the body worker here and I'm just sitting here in my car, chatting away, living the dream. <laughs> you should just need to have a coffee and someone bringing you a donut. Yeah, yeah. I'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Eat, ride, nap, repeat. And remember, riding like life doesn't need to be perfect to be wonderful. Give your horse a pat after every ride. <laughs>